Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your non-managers and individual contributors, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Teammate. In this 12-month program, I'll be taking your employees through this program, which includes topics on communication, managing your boss, getting results without authority, customer service, problem solving, decision making, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoints, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can either have your entire organization take our program, or if you have just a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that will start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. One of the tools that we usually suggest as people are developing their managers is a tool called a 360-degree survey. Now, I always mention that if you take one of these, you better have some thick skin because if you think you're amazing, well, you got to wait and see what the followers are actually saying. These are really difficult to use, but one of the best ones I've ever used is the Leadership Practices Inventory. And there's nobody more knowledgeable on this tool than our guest today. Amy Dunn is a coach, consultant, trainer, facilitator. I met her through a mutual client and I was immediately impressed. We had a great talk talking about the instrument that she is really good with and how to use it. More importantly, what do we gain from a tool like that? She can explain it much better than I can. So let's quit talking about her. Let's talk to her. You know what time it is. Make sure that personal items under the seat in front of you. Make sure that your seatbelt is buckled low and across your hips. Time for us to take off. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Amy Dunn, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mac. Glad to be here. Really glad we could do this. Uh, you and I met through a mutual acquaintance of ours, and he's a guy that I respect so much that when he mentioned that you are somebody he respects, it was a no-brainer. And so here we are today. The topic is going to be around a tool. It's a 360-degree survey, mm -hmm. and we often talk about 360s at Boss Builders, but I've never actually had somebody on that we can talk about it too. It actually is a tool we have used previously, but I've always kind of gone through it just learning what I can, reading about it. I've never actually talked to someone who does it and is an expert in it. So that's why we're going to be chatting today, Amy. But before we get into this tool, I was hoping you could share your journey with us, your background and what you're working on today. Sure. I'm so excited you want to hear about this tool. I, it's one of my favorites. But in terms of background, my career um, was mainly an internal human resources person. And I understand that's primarily your audience. So I'm sort of speaking to my people, if you will. <laughs> I understand that role, loved it for many, many years and did the full complement of HR generalist services in support of a business partner and his or her team. But as I continued in that path, Mac, what I found towards the end of my corporate career is I was drawn much more to the work that had to do with 
leadership development, talent management, coaching, team building. And so I thought, hmm, I ought to pay attention to that and worked my way into those sorts of roles internally and then decided that I actually wanted to leave the corporate uh, realm for at least a bit and try my hand at consulting. And that was over 10 years ago. And so fortunately, that means it's worked out okay. <laughs> Great. So the tool we're going to talk about today, this is a game changer. This is the kind of tool that could really help a person figure out the answers that they're looking for. And the name of that tool is PowerPoint. <laughs> no, that's not it. No. What was I thinking? It must be a nightmare I was having in my head. So what is this tool? Let, I'm going to let you talk about it. I'll just tell everybody it's the LPI. That's all I'm going to say. Tell us about it. Tell it what. Tell us what it does and tell us who it's best used for. All right. Excellent. So the LPI, that stands for Leadership Practices Inventory. As you said, it's a 360 assessment tool targeted at leaders or people that are in leadership capacities and roles, because uh, we believe, uh, those of us in this community of practice around the leadership challenge, that you don't have to have a title to be a leader. And just because you have a title doesn't make you one. It's all about behaviors. And we'll talk more about that as we move forward. But the assessment itself is um, a list of 30 behavior-based questions. And these behaviors come from the body of work of Jim Coozes and Barry Posner. And they've been looking at leaders for over 35 years now and studying what do real leaders do day in and day out that makes a difference, that has a positive impact in their organizations. And they've studied it and they've interviewed people and researched it and basically come up with what they talk about as the five practices of exemplary leadership. And then each of those practices has six behaviors that are associated with it. And that's what the LPI measures. How frequently does a leader's constituents, boss, peers, direct reports, and then this instrument allows for an other category, um, how frequently do your constituents see you engaging in these behaviors on a scale of one to 10. So that's it in a nutshell, but there's lots more to unpack. So, well, let's, yeah, let's crack the nut. So first of all, tell us about the book. It's the leadership challenge, right? Correct. Okay. The book, so is the book, the, the book, tell us about the book and then the six disciplines or six or five exemplary behaviors, yeah. right? Five, five behaviors. Five, yeah. Five, tell us five, about yeah. The language gets tricky. Five practices and then six behaviors in each. But yes, the, uh, the leadership yeah. challenge is the book that Jim and Barry wrote. It's now in its sixth edition. They're working on the seventh as we speak. Um, and it, it honestly, it's a fabulous book. I, I'm forgetting right in the moment who it was, but somebody called it like the, the Bible of leadership books in the sense that it's that such was a... probably that was probably me. OK, yeah. <laughs> I'll just attribute anything good to you. Is yeah. that work? <laughs> um, but it really it really is. It's a very practical, common sense view of leadership, Mac. And I love reading leadership books and I do it all the time. There does seem to be a little bit of a flavor of a month thing that happens. Everybody gets excited about this concept or that concept. And I, I do too. But what the leadership challenge does is says, okay, but let's look at the very, very basics again of what do leaders do behaviorally day in and day out that makes a difference. Economies change, global trends change, but the fundamental aspects of what makes for a good leader According to the research that Jim and Barry have done, that really hasn't 
change. They talk about it as the context of leader has, leadership has changed, but the content of leadership fundamentally has not. Okay. So the, the five practices of exemplary leadership. You got it. Yeah, there we go. Okay. So what are the five? What are the big five we look at? Yeah. So it starts off with model the way, which has to do with the idea, Mac, that as leaders, we need to get clear on who are we? What do we stand for? What do we want to espouse to others in terms of our values and standards? So it's looking inward to understand who we are and then making sure that our actions and behaviors are well aligned with those values and principles. We've probably all had the experience of working for somebody at some point in time where what they say is very different from what they do. And we all know how that works, right? <laughs> it's, what, what's the, the quote? You know, your, your behaviors are screaming so loud I couldn't hear what you said because we really pay. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we pay a lot more attention to what people do than what they say they're going to do. So that's really the fundamental of model the way and where things start. And then inspire a shared vision. Jim and Barry's research says that what one of the things that really distinguishes leaders from other very capable professionals is that they look to the future more. They're thinking aspirationally about what could the future look like? What am I excited about? And how do I get other people excited to also join me in the journey toward that vision? So it's thinking about what's coming up next. Where do I want to take people on this journey? And then the next is challenge the process, because anytime you want to lead to a new place, you very likely are going to have to do things differently than you've done them before. And so this practice has to do with really always having that build a better mousetrap sort of a mindset you know, outside, how can we maybe do this differently? How can we make even incremental improvements in a process uh, so that it becomes uh, better and more effective? So as leaders, we need to be sure we're continually challenging ourselves in that sense, but also that we're creating the environment for other people, that they feel comfortable and safe to try new things and that, you know, mistakes are not punished. We learn from them and we don't try to make mistakes, but we look at those as opportunities to learn and say, okay, how would we do this differently in another time? And what other ideas do we have? So continuing to cultivate that environment. And then enable others to act, which is really all about bringing out the best in other people, forming trust-based, respect-based relationships, and creating that you know sense of confidence and competence within people. Uh, that we're supporting them to to bring forth their their very best in the organization. And then finally is encourage the heart. And this has to do with the idea that at the end of the day, we are human beings and we want to feel seen and understood and appreciated. Work is hard and leaders understand that people really do need to be appreciated for what they do. So it's celebrating both the... Um, accomplishments of an individual, certainly high performance, but also creating that esprit de corps, sense of community for a whole team or organization to feel good about being part of something that's sort of bigger than themselves. So those are the five practices. And then again, there are six very, very specific behaviors that come underneath each of those. And that's what the LPI measures. So without having to go through 30 of the things, is there like one of the particular ones you could share? Like, let's just say for encouraging the heart, 
What's one of those things that you might measure? Yeah. So one of those has to do with creatively recognizing people. So this is the idea that we as leaders, it's not just, you know, hey, Mac, great job today. Keep it up. You know, it would be, Mac, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. You've created this really interesting mechanism to support a community of HR professionals with new ideas. And I'm honored that you asked me to come on and talk about that. It means a lot to me. And it tells me that you're somebody who's really interested in, you know, the, the community that you serve and standards of professionalism, what we do. I obviously just okay. pulled that so, right out. Well, no, you, you really meant it. I was going to say, you're the only podcast guest I will ever have again. It works. You just make me feel like the best host in the world. Well, there you go. But, but what I heard in that statement was a lot of like, here's what you did specifically. Yeah. And here's why it's important to me. Right. And, and to you. So I think that's, so then in a 360, then you mentioned that other people are going to rate individuals. Right. So would like, let's just say my boss, a couple peers and three direct reports, would they all be looking at me with the same question or does everybody get a different set of questions? It's exactly the same questions, regardless of which constituent is responding. Um, the way it works is we actually encourage a a broader net than that, Mac, because uh, you get richer data and um, you want to get a full complement. So when I work with people in a coaching capacity, for example, and use this this tool, I'll encourage them to certainly ask their boss um, pro at least three, but better even four or five peers that work with them, and then a full direct report team. And then there's this other category that I referenced earlier that can be used for in any variety of ways. Some people use it as a bit of a catch-all, like here's there's just a few other people I'd like to hear from. Others use it to get a homogenous group. So for example, when I was an internal HR generalist and this program was introduced to my organization, that's how I first learned about it. Um, I chose for my coworkers, my HR peers, but my business partner clients for the other. So I could see, it's one of the great things about this instrument is you get lots of you know global average data, but then you can also see how do your various groups experience your leadership and is it the same or is it different from the other groups? And while it's all anonymous, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but um, you can also see, okay, I've got five direct reports. Most of them tend to be giving me sort of seven, eight, nines and something, but there's this one person who's down more at the three, four, five category. So you can see, hmm, something's happening here where most people, the trend, and so this is what I'd encourage people to pay attention to is this is how people are experiencing you. But for some reason, somebody else has a different point of view on that. They're not seeing you engage in those behaviors as frequently. So you can get a, a very nuanced view of the feedback, I guess, was my point there. Do you find that most people get into this willingly? Are some people forced like, hey, you're going to have a 360. It's really good for you. <laughs> how does that normally work? And does that impact how the results are yeah. accepted? What a great question. It, it works lots of different ways. It does make an impact. Um, trying to think. I, I just had a coaching call this morning with somebody who had a 360 and she got some very, very difficult feedback. It was an emotional call. But it was one of the best because she did ask for this. She knew something was not quite right. 
And as happens so often, what we really came down to is that her intent is just different than her impact. And now we're going to work to narrow that gap through a, a coaching sort of a process. So that's when it works the best, right? When the person genuinely wants the feedback and wants to engage in change. Sometimes the instrument, I use it as part of a leadership challenge workshop. So there's, it's classically done as a live two-day workshop, highly experiential. There's some pre-work, including the LPI assessment. They do that before they come into the, to the session. And in that case, you know, if an organization sponsors it for 20 leaders, chances are you've got some people in there that really want to be there and they're going to eat up every bit of it. And a couple who are, you know, what some of us in the training business call prisoners, you know, they were told you got to go to this class. Some of them you can convert in my experience and then others just really are not, not interested. So happens all kinds of different ways, but certainly has the most impact when the person's engaging willingly, either in uh, training or in coaching. I have, I've used the LPI a few times, certainly nowhere close to the amount you have. And the one experience I had, this was probably about seven, six, seven years ago. We had an individual, it was a company we were doing some business with where it was a sales manager mm-hmm. and there was a lot of issues. And so I suggested this because I had read about it before and a mutual friend of ours had recently taken it. And he told me how great it was. So we did it. And then I flew down to Florida where I was going to do the one-on-one and, you know, the person says, oh man, this is, this is such good feedback. And I had no idea that I was coming off like that. And, oh, yeah. And I says, okay, cause I need to know, can I connect you with my coaching strategic partner, Margie Bush? Uh, cause that's who I refer a lot of my coaching to. And so he's like, oh, I really, I really need that. And I'm looking for, I said, well, Hey, this is great. You know? So I drove back to the airport next morning. I got a call from the client that said, oh, we won't be using the coaching. I said, oh, okay, why? Turns out right after I'd walked out, this person went back to his shop and said, who the F said all this S about me? Mm. And that was the end of the engagement. So is that, does that happen occasionally or is it just, maybe it was me? So it, (laughs) whoa, that's a tough one. I'm sorry that happened to you. Let me start there. (laughs) Well, it didn't put me off the tool. It just put me off working with people that got a stick up the rear end, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, so this is bringing me back to the, to the woman I referenced this morning that I coached because I saw the feedback before she did and knew it was going to be difficult and said to her, I want to set up this call, but I want to do it in a time and place where you're, you know, not in your office and we can really take time to process it because that's the last thing you want to have happen is to have a leader go back and have that sort of reaction. It's going to put people off ever doing it again for anybody else. It certainly is going to damage the relationship that they have with that leader, right? Um, so that's a worst case kind of a scenario. So whether it's through coaching or in the training program, I like to do it such that I'm the first conversation they have with anybody about that feedback. And we go into not only what did it tell you, what are your insights coming out of it, but what are your next steps? What are you going to do with this feedback? And we talk about, we normalize the reactions that people often do have. It's hard to get this kind of feedback. It can be very difficult. It can be very rewarding as well. And most times it's a little bit of both because most of us will get a a nice mix of that feedback. And that's what it's designed to do really. But I really try to help, help people process that emotional reaction, normalize a little bit 
and help them talk about how do you want to show up for people as a result of this and the importance of expressing appreciation and, and committing to make some changes based on the feedback that you got and never ever engaging with them in any way that would indicate, I want to know who said what or what the heck were you thinking about that? That's just totally not the spirit of it. No, but I think that would probably suggest that might've been the wrong tool or the wrong time or, and that's the challenge too, with a client engagement that we experience is like, you know, it may not be the best way to do it, but we'll handle whatever has been screwed up and try to make it work. That probably was now, on the other hand, I've had some great success using it and, you know, then debriefing it is always kind of fun. It's a little scary, you know, especially when they say, you know, what does this mean? Like, well, I don't really know well, who said this. Well, I definitely don't know. Is there ever a way to find out who, like, what is it? Uh, S, what is, how do they say it? So it's P1 or uh, yeah, I forget the uh, yeah, peer. It would or, be D1 in that case. Um, yeah. There, there isn't is the short answer. And the uh, this instrument is produced by Wiley, Wiley uh, Workplace Solutions. And they take the anonymity of the survey very seriously. And so even somebody like me who administers the survey behind the scenes on the instrument, I can see, like, if you took the assessment, Mac, I'd be able to see who you put in as your boss and your colleagues, your direct reports and any others. Uh, but I wouldn't be able to see who responded and who didn't. I'd be able to tell you that seven of your 12 have responded as of this point. And I am able to see whether your boss responded. And, and, the, and the manager feedback is not anonymous because it's typically only one response. So the instrument alerts the manager to that, that their responses will be segregated and therefore visible to people. But other than that, there have to be at least two respondents in each category for the data to be reported in that category. Otherwise, it gets moved over into the others so that if you have a team of three direct reports and you ask all of them to do it, but only one of them says, hey, I did that survey for you, Mac. I can't wait to hear what you think about it. <laughs> uh, but for whatever reason, the other two didn't do it. That data would not be reported because you know who it was that said to you, hey, Mac, I filled out that survey for you. <laughs> So yeah, we want to be yeah. sure that, you know, there's power and anonymity in the uh, in the numbers. But really, people often ask, you know, can I know who said this? And the good news is I literally cannot tell them. So I, I don't have to lie to them or or dance around it. I literally can't. But then I try to quickly shift it to say, you know, it really it doesn't it doesn't matter in the sense that each of these points of input, it's a data point. What we want to look at or what are the trends? How overall um, are you showing up for people? What are the messages and the themes that are coming out of your feedback and how do we work with them constructively? Virtually everybody who takes an assessment like this, it's not specific to the LPI, you're going to have an outlier or two, mm -hmm. sometimes really high, which in my mind are as it's not very valuable if somebody in this instrument gives you 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. I mean, none of us walk on water. None of us do all of these things all the time exactly right. So without some discrete, you know, indication, it it's just not very useful. And then others are going to they've to just give low ratings either because that's um, genuinely their experience. Uh, let's hope that's usually why it is. They don't they don't see you engaging in these behaviors very often or they're sometimes certainly it happens. We're, again, we're all human beings. They're ticked off because of something that happened and it shows up a little bit. But that's why we have to pay attention to the themes. And I do want to be sure to, to say, and I know you understand this, Mac, but the, these issues that we're talking about could happen with any 360 mm -hmm. instrument. 
Sure. In fact, I, in my experience, the LPI handles some of those issues better than other tools that I'm familiar with. But that's that's just the you know the the risks of any kind of instrument like this. So having a coach to help you interpret the data is very important. Make sure you're accurately interpreting it. That's the start point. Then helping with the emotional processing of it. But most importantly, what are you going to do about it? What what action steps are you going to take to begin to show up differently for people? So your report will have some rows of numbers and things like that. And then there's also an opportunity for people to keyboard some things in, right? Is there, there's a, a narrative piece of that that you can reflect on as well? Absolutely. And in fact, that's one of the reasons that this is one of my favorite tools, Mac, because in this instrument, it allows me as the survey administrator to define what those open-ended questions are. So at the end of the survey, you can create up to five open-ended questions. And that's where the respondent, yes, they're typing in free form. So what I'll often do is recommend that they use questions like, in your experience, what are this leader's top two or three greatest strengths? What are two to three areas that you would recommend they focus on to have even greater impact? You know, trying to pose the questions in a positive and constructive way. Um, and then maybe ask about something like blind spots and, you know, what else would you like to share kind of a thing. But one of the really powerful things about this instrument that is this ability to tailor. And for some clients, as an example, they've asked me when it's, you know, for a group of people, a group of leaders going through, hey, we've had a major diversity and inclusion initiative over the last three years. We'd like to include a question about how well is this leader exhibiting uh, the behaviors and the values that we are uh, espousing in terms of DE&I. Or I had a coaching client once that uh, recently that she is driving a massive change initiative in her organization. She leads a nonprofit and they're about to really expand their funding. Her role is going to shift dramatically. She's not going to be able to be as hands-on because of the growth. And so she wanted very specific and advice and feedback on as this organization grows and expands, what do you recommend to this leader uh, that he or she ought to be doing more of, less of, differently to support the expansion? So it can be tailored for an individual um, and then also organizationally, if there's an aspect of the culture or an initiative they want to capture, we can come up with a good question that supports that as well. You had mentioned that you can also see your data and then I guess the people at Wiley or the LPI people have collected data. And so you kind of get, is it sort of like the average person at your level often shows up this way? Is that what that means? Essentially, yeah. There's a, a percentile ranking chart is what it's called in the report. And there is this very robust, highly research valid kind of a data set that they use to house responses from thousands of leaders that have gone through the survey. And then this page in the report plots, I'll stick with you as the person, you back what your results were as compared to thousands of others of leaders who have taken the survey. So it does give you a bit of a benchmark view, if you will. Okay. Um, is, is there value in that? I mean, because if you were to say, you know, Mac, you're fat and bald and old, but <laughs> there's definitely fatter, balder men around than you. I mean, is that what it's there for? Because it doesn't make me feel that much better, but is that kind of what it does? Or is there a better reason why you'd want to use that? 
It's such a great question. I have I have mixed feelings about this part of the survey because for for most people they they get it and they understand it, but they move on fairly quickly. Some people it gets it's more challenging for them to either to understand how the percentile rankings work, but we can always work them through that piece of it. But they might get a little bit caught up in oh I what is this telling me about me as a leader compared to others. So again, this is where the coaching part is so important. I'm biased because I'm a coach, but it's really helping the person see, Mac, it doesn't matter if you're fat, bald, and ugly. <laughs> you, this is who you are. You are a leader. This is about your, your leadership at this point in time in your organization. What's the feedback that you got? And what do you want to do to increase the frequency with which you're engaging in the behaviors that people said were low? Which is, you know, again, one of the reasons I love this survey is it's it, that frequency of observed behavior measurement. If somebody gets a four on something, which is, you know, seldom or sometimes, whatever it is, I don't have the, the guide right in front of me, but it says they're doing it sometimes though. They know how to do it. They have the capability to do it. They just have to make a choice. Do I want to do this more frequently and more consistently? Because the research says, if I do, good things will happen. So it's not like a, a, a magic competency that they have to learn to be a better influencer or something. You know, these are all behaviors that if you look at the full list, any of us can do them. Pretty much all of us do do them. It's just a matter of being more intentional about how we practice the various behaviors. So in a, in a debrief, and, and I... I think it's important that you have somebody that knows what they're doing, mm -hmm. which is why I'm really happy to have you here today, because in my experience using this, not nearly as much, but occasionally you'll be going through it and somebody will say, all right, I know exactly who said that. What does that statement typically mean? What's behind that usually? Because I've heard that quite a bit. Yeah. Well, what it tells me in the moment, Mac, is that the person's got some defensiveness that's going on because they're feeling a little bit stuck about who said it. That's literally what their question is. And so in terms of how to work with it, it's really just a matter of continuing to ask good open-ended questions and where do you want to go with it? And well, what's the overall data telling us and not just that one data point that you're looking at right now? Where are we going to benefit from spending most of our energy in the themes and the overall averages or on this outlier, you know, what makes most sense. So just trying to help people respectfully, of course, you know, process that reaction because it's normal, right? Let's be real. We're all human beings. I've gone through it. I went, th I went through it um, just about six months ago. I asked a colleague to administer an LPI for me because I thought, you know, I got to practice what I preach here. And <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I also was coaching another member of the Leadership Challenge community who's aspiring to become a certified master and part of that process is that they coach an existing master. And so it was twofold. But uh, yeah, I found myself doing the same thing I'd coach people not to do, right? <laughs> so, I wonder who said that. Well, yeah. why did that? But I mean, that's the human experience, <laughs> it, right? It's like we don't, we, we like to think we're amazing. And when we find we're not totally amazing, then we got to figure out how to fix it. But 
Right. Uh, yeah. So I, it's just curious because I, I thought, well, maybe it's just me, but it was, only, I kind of read sort of the same thing. Like, you know, you kind of want me to tell you, oh, no, no, it wasn't that person. It was this. Yeah. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. You know? Well, and you know, we know that. it's, we're often wrong about it too. We get very crystallized in our ideas about, I know who said that. And I know it's because, you know, of X, Y, and Z. But the reality, so I'll give you just a quick story of my own personal experience. The first time I did this, when I was, I was a VP of HR at Travelers and this program, the Leadership Challenge, was brought into our organization to be our sort of the, the, the highest, most senior level internal program that we run. And so we all went through it. And at the time, I had my HR boss and my client boss. So in my case, I had two M's, which you can do. That's another flexible piece of this instrument. So very long story short, the data were both okay, but one was consistently kind of eights and nines and tens, and the other one was more consistently six, sevens, you know. So, and and the client boss that I had at the time was a very high performing, um, very uh, high expectation kind of a person. So I went to my HR boss and I shared the results and said, I'd like to, you know, talk this through with you and get your coaching on how to talk to XYZ client person. And she looked at me, she said, Aim that I'm the lower ratings there. That's that's my input for you. <laughs> so sometimes people will tell you. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that was exactly my reaction. And I thought, wow, I would have gone to my dying bed insisting that I knew exactly which of them had given me which set of feedback. And I was just totally wrong. <laughs> so you just you don't know. Well, I guess it's always best. Well, this already, I mean, we can see that this is not something you just decide, hey, we're going to go ahead and do this next week. It takes some thought and planning. So can you give us a just a typical kind of a laundry list of the ideal types of people or situations to actually administer this for somebody? Well, hmm, I guess the, the key things, you're right, it does take time and planning for it to go mm -hmm. well, start there. Um, if people are interested in doing an actual full leadership challenge workshop, then we you know want to plan that a couple of months ahead of time and typically get together a group of leaders where it is more voluntary or a, maybe a, a cohort based development program and you want to do a, a kickoff of a, a piece of it. That's often I'm working with a hospital group right now in that uh, vein uh, to kick it off. And uh, from a coaching perspective, it's, you know, finding people that really, again, want to learn, want to grow, want to change, are going to be open to the feedback, that kind of thing. Is that getting at what you were asking? About? Yeah, kind of like, you know, if somebody said, well, I've got a, I'm hiring a brand new, uh, you know, shift leader for the night shift versus, you know, I've got somebody who we're starting to groom for maybe senior leadership. Is there a better level of the organization to go through this? And then I want to find out, you know, we want to find out how we actually make this happen. So is there kind of an ideal sort of uh, person you'd want to put through this? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Good question. So the first thing that your question cues up for me that I don't think I've made clear is you wouldn't want to give it to somebody who's new in their role because this is a frequency of observed behavior. So what we counsel people is ideally you'd have respondents who have worked closely with you for at least six months, better if it's even more like a year or more, who have really had that upfront, personal, direct experience of how you show up as a leader, because otherwise they're going to struggle to respond accurately on this. How frequently have you observed this person do these things if they've observed you for two weeks? So mm -hmm. I'd start, start there with the example that you gave. 
I would say that, and I, I alluded to this in the beginning, Mac, the leadership behaviors that are in this, you don't have to have any particular level of leadership of a position. I've had people in my workshops that don't even have what we would call formal supervisory authority over people, but they do lead big initiatives for the organization or project teams or whatever. It can be a really valuable instrument and workshop process for all of those folks. In fact, Jim and Barry's most recent book um, was Everyday Leaders Extraordinary Leadership. I probably just butchered that, but it's their most recent book. And um, they it's targeted at people who don't have formal leadership authority, in fact. And so so it can be done really for anybody who wants to engage as a leader. Having said that, I guess I'd say if somebody said, what's the ideal? It would be people who are to go through the full program and the full robust leadership 360 who are in um, leadership roles. Again, doesn't have to be people, but accountable for delivering results at an organizational level. Um and that, again, really just, you know, want this kind of feedback. And then the how we get there, it really depends on whether we're talking about a coaching situation or more of a development initiative, either through, hey, we're going to run a, a, a workshop and do some coaching in concert with that. Or, as I mentioned, as part of a, a longitudinal cohort program, which can be a lot of fun as well. Okay. Well, last question I have, because we've kind of been leading up to this. Somebody who's been listening to this and says, wow, this is something that I believe our organization can really benefit from. How do they reach you, Amy? How does it work? And what are the first steps? And yeah, how, yeah. Do, how do we get a hold of you? Great. So my, the name of my practice is Done Talent Consulting. So my website, and I believe we'll have ways to get this out to your audience, but it's www.donetalentconsulting.com. That's uh, my website. You can learn more about this program as well as some other things that I uh, do as well. I'm on LinkedIn, Amy Elizabeth Dunn. So I don't know. Uh, I think I'm fairly easy to find out there. But again, we can give folks my the direct link to my profile. I'd be happy to uh, chat with people that way. And just let's just have a conversation. You know, let's just what I would say the easiest way to do is take a look at some more of that information. Reach out to me. We'll set up a no obligation, of course, just exploratory call so I can learn more about what a, a given listener's situation is, what he or she is thinking about, and see if uh, this tool or one that I work with would be a good fit for them. That's great. Well, if you're listening to this today, I hope you will definitely check it out. So that is Amy Dunn, spelled D-U-N-N, -N, correct? Correct. Yeah. And uh, with that, Amy, I just want to say thank you for taking time today to chat with us about this tool and about the ways we can use it. And most importantly, how you can help us use that. We really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.